Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. I would like to let you know next week's speaker and topic. The topic is, How Have These Works of Fiction Changed the World? The speaker is Dr. Jason Donov from the University of Calgary Department of Physics and Astrology. And there will be a focus basically on science and technology fiction and the predictions that they have, those works of fiction have made and how it has influenced research in the areas of science and technology. So do come out for that next week. Our speaker uh, today is, Dr. Is, is Rudy Friesen, and our topic is Should Taxpayers Support the Re- Redevelopment Plan of Exhibition Park? I would ask you please to ask your questions over at the microphone on the right and to keep your questions short, and Rudy will answer them. And uh, we should wind up approximately at 1.30. So thank you. Hi, Rudy. My name is Henning Mundel, and uh, I've had the opportunity during my uh, professional career at the, as a scientist at the research station to attend many uh, conference exhibitions in uh, Saskatoon, in Red Deer. You were giving examples of their facilities. Mike, one thing that I saw and experienced a few times in Saskatoon with Prairie Lands was actually a combination conference at hotel with at the exhibition ground, and I think I was there in the first year where they experimented, where you had uh, big uh, screens and questions of the speaker could be asked, whether you're down at the Prairie Land or whether you're up at the Saskatoon Inn, and so on. And I know there were bugs that needed to be worked out. I just wonder whether that's something that would be envisioned down the road uh, as a possibility for having uh, a joint kind of an event like that. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, and and we've talked about kind of that functionality, not necessarily specifically about that, but I think with today's uh, uh, electronic technology and um, remote meeting uh, functions uh, improving, I think that that's a definite possibility for sure. Hi, Dennis Chinner. Um, Just two comments, I guess. One comment is I had the privilege, I guess, and or the frustration, depending upon how you look at it, to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, to chair the bid committee for the Alberta Earth, the Canadian Chamber AGM, and it was amazing to me. I guess once we started to work through the dynamics of the conference, that we couldn't have any place in Lethbridge to accommodate 350 delegates who could come for breakfast, move to another room for their sessions, come back for lunch, move to another room for their afternoon session, come back for dinner, <coughs> and so. I guess two things. Number one is that I applaud you for the vision when you look at this and the flexibility of the of the facility. Um, and the next question, I guess, and it's, that was just a comment. The question I have is, as a taxpayer, the issue always becomes, what's my cost down the road? It's great that we've got this facility, but what's my cost down the road? And I guess I'm just wondering um, what that planning looks like for your organization moving forward. Good question, uh, Dennis, because I forgot to mention that in the presentation, and that's uh, that's always something that's of interest to people uh, in the community. And this is the way I try to explain it. Um, uh, 
because this project is operational sustainable, operationally sustainable, we put no demands on the annual operating budget of the, of the city for operations. And, and that's the piece of the, the city financial puzzle that's largely funded by tax dollars. In terms of the capital budget, um, the city of Lethbridge is already committed to say that here's how many dollars we're going to spend in capital in this current CIP that we're deliberating. We already know how much we're going to spend. Now we need to figure out what are our priorities for that spending. So they're not, it's not an impact plus or minus on the capital budget itself. It's just we want to be a priority in those deliberations and have them choose this project as a priority with no ongoing implications to the operating budget at all because we're sustainable. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Uh, thank you, Rudy, for your presentation. Um, you mentioned in your talk the, uh, the uh, advantages of that location with the, um, uh, the camping ground being taken over, having the view of the lake and so on. Uh, it's really a beautiful area. And uh, in it, there's many mature trees probably on, on their last legs and uh, will, will have to be replaced. Um, has any consideration being, been given to starting early on reforestation, on, on, on the uh, um, um, taking care of all the, the plants and, and trees uh, in the area in order to make the landscaping um, an integral part, but getting started early uh, since it's going to take four or five years before this thing's completed? A good point. And, and uh, in our development and kind of some of the designs that we're looking at, high-level designs for, um, uh, just to back up a little bit, uh, the, the area that we know as the Henderson Lake Campground area is the area in the development that we would relocate our outdoor festival space to. So what you folks currently know as Pioneer Park uh, that exists in the exhibition would be moved over to the campground location and we would build this new complex in the area that's currently Pioneer Park. Uh, in terms of the trees, we want to do that and, and try and save as many of those trees, hopefully all those trees in the campground because they're gorgeous. But to your point, there are some of them that are getting old. And, uh, and we've talked about this reforestation issue and, and we've not uh, uh, taken great strides and had a formal plan in that regard to this point. But if you notice when you drive by Exhibition Park, just on the south side of uh, Pioneer Park, you'll see two long rows of spruce trees that are there being nurtured and growing and healthy and ready to find their new home when under the developed park, for sure. Rudy, Bob Adams, one thing I, I haven't heard much about, and it's probably an extenuating circumstance, and I think this is a good, you know, a, a good project, but the traffic that it's going to cause as you grow, because I know I live on Side, and there's lots of traffic already on that. Has the city got any plans, or you guys got any plans as you grow as far as doing traffic studies and, and upgrading the streets and the roads around there to accommodate, you know, your growth and everything like that? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that is a concern, and, and we have to recognize that we do have a beautiful location. Um, but one thing that we cannot avoid at, under our current setup is that we still only have two-lane residential access egress to the park, no matter which direction you come from. Uh, we've talked about access from, uh, from the other side. Uh, CPR uh, is a little bit of a challenge always. Uh, um, we don't know how that's going to go. But we are looking at it. Uh, the, the city is uh, talking with us about traffic patterns. And, and one of the things I'll, um, that we have talked about is that, um, you know, there's that road that goes uh, in, in front of the park uh, between us and the lake that accesses the two parkside drives? 
one one of the one of the conversations uh, one of the conversations that we've had is that if the city would remove that road and actually have a loop through the back of Exhibition Park to join the two Henders or two the two Parkside drives, um, we don't know if that's feasible, but uh, that's one of the conversations that we're having because that would allow us to load off of there from already within the park, so you don't hold people up out on the street. So those are some of the things that we're kind of testing. That they're at very preliminary stages. There's a lot of work and analysis that needs to go into it. I think the important thing is that we recognize the challenge, and, and we know that there's as we move forward, we're going to have to do things, some things to deal with it appropriately. Ed Bardock, two quick questions. Um, from my background, I understand the exhibition board has not been the beneficiary of revenues from the casino uh, what is the future uh, revenue expectations from that? Will the exhibition start to take control of that themselves so that revenue goes to the exhibition? And secondly, uh, what I know about horses is minimal outside of the fact I've been referred to the back end of horse many times. <laughs> but I feel that pain. But uh, <laughs> what is the future of horse racing in your exhibition? Is it kaput or is it, do you think it will come back? Um, a good question, and there's, uh, uh, I'm certainly not an expert on the horse racing industry. Of course, we've got a private partner that leases the facility and delivers that ro race program for us uh, here in southern Alberta. But here are some of the things that we do know that kind of impacted how we were going to plan this. And as you can see, that new plan still includes that race facility. Uh, we're just in the final throes of uh, 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 signing and, and agreeing to the lease extension with Rocky Mountain Turf Club that would see horse racing stay at the park until 2023. So we're looking at about another 10 years uh, for, for, for the horse racing model. And that'll certainly give us some time to analyze what's happening with the industry and how it's moving forward. We also, there's a little bit of a glitch in the middle of this system that nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, the casino that you're referring to is the Racing and Entertainment Center in the Grandstand, I believe, that we know as Bullies. Um, uh, it's 120-some it's slot machines uh, that generate revenue that goes back into the horse race industry through uh, a program known as Horse Race Alberta that was created under license by the province. That license agreement that creates Horse Race Alberta expires in 2016. And the province hasn't said anything about what's going to happen after that expires. Uh, so while we've got an arrangement uh, in place that will see Turf Club continue to perform live horse racing until 2023, we've got to get through this 2016 uh, situation first and, and see what's going to happen there. Until 2023, they continue to generate the revenues from, uh, from the slot machines and we just get the lease payments from them. And they have, and they have an obligation to, to run horse racing through Horse Race Alberta and then the government's portion goes straight to Horse Race Alberta, not to the province, the 85%. Uh, my name is Frank Toth. I've attended many, many presentations. This is about the highest powered pre presentation I've ever heard. Uh, the bulk of it, I would say 60% is business-oriented people. Now, we know that uh, the cost of living is going up. I just want to tell you a little scenario. I have two buddies, man and wife, sitting in assisted homes. They're paying $2,500 a month plus this, plus this, plus this. They're ex-property owners. And they, they come to your venue. They're nailed with $5, $10 parking. 
then they pay another five, ten dollars to do somebody else's bloody product that make that they want to buy. Okay, is there any allowance, any preference? Say people over sixty-five. Uh, I haven't got an ad machine to say hundred thousand people in the twenty-five million. What's going to cost each of us? Is there any preferential treatment for seniors, say, 65 and over, to get in the park and view somebody else's goods? We know that we're paying 25% more for products equal to what they pay in the United States already, and we're in deficit. We're probably going to borrow money. It's a hell of a time to be, uh, you know, doing anything. And you have taken the parking spot with the only spot in 100 miles from Calgary to Milk River where I can take my motorhome and trail and, and park, okay? So you've destroyed the commercial value of the income. We're talking about tourism, okay? So what's going to replace that? Thank you. A uh, couple of things. I'll, uh, um, I'll, I'll address the campground first and, and, and try to explain how that scenario all kind of unfolded. Uh, just so that everybody's aware... Uh, the private individual that rented that property from the city and operated that campground for a number of years managed to get into that ar an arrangement, a clause that says when he no longer had that arrangement with the city, that, that when that lease arrangement stopped, it could no longer be used as a campground. And he still currently operates the Bridge Valley Campground. So he's put himself in a non-competitive position where nobody can compete with that other campground now in the city. We cannot use it as a campground. We're forbidden. So... Uh, we have to use it for other purposes, and we think that this is a pretty, pretty darn good use of it. Uh, in terms of the uh, admissions, and, and I, can, I can understand the concern around that question, and uh, we often get questions from uh, various people about admission costs and, and those type of activities. Um, we, tr we do try to be extremely fair in our pricing model at Exhibition Park. We believe we provide great value for the programs that we provide. We think there's demand for those programs, and as I said in the, in the uh, presentation, uh, we're able to do that in a sustainable fashion, and there's uh, only one way to be sustainable. The revenues have to be larger than the expenses. So we try to balance that out and be fair at the same time. My name is Mike Williams. I've got two points, and then I'll ask my question. Quite often I'm hearing presentations that compare Red Deer, for example, to Lethbridge in terms of similar size community. Red Deer has 2.5 million people within 150 kilometers. It has two major international airports within an hour. And we seem to be talking uh, building convention centers that according to the Lethbridge master traffic planner consultant, Unless you can move 5,000 people in and out of a city in two days, you don't have any air connection. So what kind of air connection do you anticipate having to build a convention capability? The, the airport connection is an interesting one in this, in this uh, model. Uh, and, and first of all, uh, uh, just to address your, your point about a red deer, I mean, we, we certainly recognize that we're not going to build a model that's, that's equivalent to Red Deer's in its size. As I said in my presentation, the trade space area that we were talking about was 172,000 net. Red Deer's exhibition is over 300,000. Um, we're talking about a business model that's going to grow our gross revenues to around that 8 or $9 million. Uh, Red Deer's gross revenues currently are at $12.4 um, We recognize that we can't aspire to that level of growth, 
We do recognize that right now with our current size, we are leaving a lot on the table. Uh, in terms of the transportation model, uh, economic development, uh, uh, Lethbridge has made, made the comment a couple of times that this convention facility uh, against airport development might be the chicken and egg scenario that we've talked about. There's not enough traffic for WestJet to want to come to Lethbridge, and we won't build a convention center because we can't get enough people here because there's no airlines. Uh, that said, uh, I guess the best analysis of that over the short to medium term was the response we got from Travel Alberta. Uh, and Travel Alberta recognized in that in their model of bringing people to Alberta and to specific locations in Alberta, they consider the project that we're talking about at the outset to be more regional in nature than it would be national in nature. And Travel Alberta's experience is that regional type of convention programming, which would uh, uh, for us be um, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and BC primarily, they consider the vast majority of that to be rubber tire traffic in their experience. Uh, so they, f they feel, Travel Alberta feels that the development of this convention centre wouldn't put immediate pressure on the airport. Seeing how there are nobody else lined up behind me, may I ask another <laughs> question? The um, need to integrate transportation infrastructure. Um, again, the city's master transportation plan doesn't seem to make any reference at all to the X, and yet the allusion to rerouting a roadway to me, should also include having a transit terminal, you know, right on the grounds. And until, you know, I see an integrated approach to some of this, I'm a little leery because one of my main problems in Lethbridge is it seems to be a series of individual projects that are not connected in any way. And they're all competing with each other rather than building a stronger community you know, with a single vision in mind. Fair enough, and it's a, it's a difficult process, the, the capital improvement program process for council. I, I don't know if I'll get the right numbers, or the numbers correct, but um, when we had our open house at City Hall, I think their presentation said that there was 360-some million dollars worth of capital funding requests, and they have about $70 million available to spend. So no matter how they prioritize that money, they're going to be offending the majority. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad I don't have their job. And also, when I was at uh, City Hall at that open house, um, uh, you know, despite the fact that uh, you're concerned, sir, that they're, they're kind of all done on an independent basis and they compete with each other, that's kind of the nature of how this comes together. But, boy, great projects. I mean, there's great projects there that are, that are vying for money. Uh, of course, ours is the best. Uh, I should point that out before I can... <laughs> Um, uh, but, some, but some great projects there. Uh, as for the transportation, I, I think we've identified that um, uh, there are a bunch of pluses with, the, with staying on our current location. And in determining that we should stay in that location, we did recognize that one of the minuses was that two-lane residential access egress that we had to work on. We recognized it. City Lethbridge uh, recognized it. And we've made a, a commitment not to specific details at this point, but we've made a commitment to working to figure that out as we move forward because it's, uh, it's a challenge and, and it needs to be integrated with current systems like public transit for sure. Which is another benefit to staying on the current location. If we were to redevelop to an outside location, public transit would have been almost impossible for us. And, th and we do have that access here. Alan Friesen. Oh, my cousin Alan. <laughs> 
Great uh, presentation, sir. Um, great project. It looks like it'll, it's going to be of benefit to every Lethbridge resident. A question for you about the, the parking or the camping part. You said you can't camp in that location. You talked about equine events. I'm uh, married to a horse-crazy woman, so I spend a lot of time at that Westerner Park in Red Deer. I bet you do, yeah. Yep. And you have to have camping there on those sites for the folks that are bringing in their big honking trailers and horses and, you know, those kind of things. So I'm just curious, was there something there that I missed in your presentation? Yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time on that. And, and at the moment, uh, we don't uh, do a great job in terms of permanent camping. But I will say that we do a really good job in terms of temporary camping. Uh, when we have those events, we're getting really good at setting up temporary power and water and lining up campers in in, uh, in grassed areas, sometimes asphalt areas, and getting that done on a temporary basis. We also have uh, – there is a campground uh, – at the very end of the racetrack by the quarter horse chute there that is used for horsemen during live horse racing, but that's available for camping on site, and that's fully serviced, that area. So, Thank you. My name is Mark Gettle. Uh, one of the disadvantages I see of this site is the lack of accessibility to hotels. Although you have hotels around the um, uh, casino, etc., so... It's essential, I think, to have another crossing across the CP rail further going eastward. Now, you touched upon that and said it would be difficult to get CP to allow a crossing. However, how difficult would it be for the city to extend, for instance, North Parkside Drive to go straight across your parking area there and cross the CP rail? Uh, is, would there be very diff it, difficult for a city to ask CP to, for another crossing of a city road? I just, I just don't know the answer, I, and, and I say that it would be difficult to, to deal with CPR, and I say that having never dealt with CPR, so I don't know why I'd say that, maybe by reputation. Um, but I don't, know, uh, I, I don't know how that process works. You're absolutely right, uh, and for those of you that aren't aware, um, there is currently a private crossing there that is the property of Mountain Minerals because it's the only way they can get those big trucks in and out of there uh, because they're too heavy to drive on those residential roads. That's the only way they can get those trucks in and out. How you could take that private crossing and turn it into a, a, a lit public crossing or, or an overpass, I don't know what all, what all is involved. But I get the point. Uh, there's a bunch of hotels, and there's another one going up by the casino, I believe, that's supposed to be open by this fall, if I'm not mistaken. But it is a kind of a sense of uh, it is really close, but you can't get there from here uh, with the exhibition. It's a long ways around. So, uh, yeah, to have that access would be... Awesome, for sure. Bev Mundell-Atherstone, thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, so I have some questions about the buildings and the architecture. It's, um, you know, we talk about the economic value for Lethbridge, and yet um, it always concerns me when I see Calgary firms coming in, Calgary architects building Lethbridge um, buildings. And I'd like to know, um, I've got actually a couple of questions here, but... One, if you, if you have within your plan to use Lesbridge architects rather than architects from outside, at least as a priority. Um, so that's one question. Another question is, and this was discussed at our table, <coughs> that with your four-year building plan and waiting for approval, it'll take a while till this is built. And we know that things are going to explode exponentially in terms of population and needs as as time goes on, probably in ten years, this the need will have outgrown the space. So back to architecture, 
is there a way to include within the um, vetting of these of the architectural structures um, possibilities for expanding on the space so at the time when it's being built it's it's a particular shape but that there's room to build yes when I see these three things all by themselves uh, all sort of like modulars it doesn't look like um, an arena with uh, a grandstand around it or something bleachers would be able to be expanded upon so I'm just throwing that out as an idea for um, um, something to be th thought about in terms of expansion Yes, uh, so uh, the first question with respect to the architects, um, we had done some work internally at Exhibition Park in 2006 and we had done some conceptual designs. And so what we did with this process to get these designs is we just went back to the one that we had already worked with to update the information and, and go to these designs. In terms of the project moving forward, if we're successful, uh, I, I'm not uh, an expert on the process, but if the City of Lethbridge is investing its capital dollars into the project, we're going to be tied to that city procurement process, and it's going to have to go through that process. And how that works is how that works. I'm not sure how we can prioritize. I mean, we'd love to have it all local. I mean, there's, there's certainly a local ability to do all this work. There's no question about that. Um, on the facilities, you can see the, the modules there, and that's where the, co the concept of expansion is. You should be able to just keep adding on. Each one of those rectangles is about 75,000 square feet, I think. 50,000? So you'd be able to add in 50,000 square foot increments uh, in terms of growth. So it's kind of a modular growth? Yeah. Rather than expansion in a particular area? Yeah. It just keeps going out. Okay, and then just a little announcement. As you know, we had a SACPA presentation uh, at the library in, in conjunction with the university and had a panel uh, discussing the problems at the university. So as an outgrowth of that, there's a petition outside when you leave to sign to register your concerns about the cuts at the university. Thanks. Hi, Rudy. Hi, Bruce. Uh, I'm Bruce Galtz, and I was on the committee that helped to come up with this plan. And I'm also the incoming president for the board of the chamber. And the chamber is um, an organization like so many that is looking at the CIP process and all of the different projects that are on there. And, and really, you know, it's a collection of projects that are good for the community and, and different people have different views of, of the various projects, but um, it's a big list, 300 million plus and not nearly that amount of money to spend. And I'm curious if you were asked the question, which I guess I'm asking, is <laughs> why your project? And you don't necessarily have to compare that to others, because I know there are other folks in the room that, that are passionate about their own project. But, but what is it that makes Exhibition Park's proposal something the city should do sooner than later? Thank you. Um, I, I think one of the things that makes our project unique is that it immediately gives back. Uh, it generates to the economy. It helps grow businesses. Uh, 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 immediate benefits will be seen by uh, retail, hotel, uh, restaurant uh, type of activities, and that filters down to be a benefit for everybody. And I think uh, there's a lot of projects that the community has identified that it needs, um, but uh, some, are, uh, some are more costly than others, and, and, and this one, I think, is one that can really give back and help the economic growth in the community. Uh, there was one of the one of the individuals that talked about growth and, and how that's going to be exponential when we get up over that 100,000 people. Uh, I, I think this is a, a time when we can bring something new to the community 
this development brings a whole brand new type of business to the community that supports that type of growth uh, in, a, in a natural uh, natural fashion. And, that, and that's why we think that while all those projects are great projects, I think at this time in the city's development, in this time in the exhibition parks development, in this time in the community's uh, growth model, uh, this is the right time for this project. Knut Peterson is the name. Uh, Rudy, thanks for your presentation. I would say it's a lot more attractive presentation than uh, four or five years ago. Uh, my question is, uh, the exhibition is planning on putting $15 million on the table. Uh, can you explain, if, is that a little slush fund you're getting that money from? Uh, I know you have a quarter section somewhere along the line that you can sell and help raise money, but can you explain... Uh, in more details where that's $15 million coming from? Sure. Um, uh, we don't have a $15 million slush fund. Uh, uh, we do have a, a $2 million capital set aside. Uh, we do have the land that we acquired that's at about a $5 million value. Uh, we've had, uh, although we've not identified specific dollars, we've gotten some strong uh, early interest uh, from uh, partner sponsor organizations in terms of naming rights and willing to partner with us, uh, others interested in donations. And based on the business model that we've put together, uh, uh, we're, we're estimating that we can debt finance upwards of about $8 million. All that adds up to about the $15 million mark. Last question. Okay, thanks, Diane. Uh, Mary Shillington, thanks really for your your uh, presentation. Uh, I'm not well informed about all this, so we're always away in the summer. So lots of things go on there that we don't take part in. Um, but there was some concern uh, at our table about taxes and whether this will increase taxes, and if it will, to the individual uh, homeowners. Uh, what about the business people who are, you talk about how this is going to grow economically, uh, what about, uh, what what part do they play in, if they're going to grow, uh, are they going to have higher taxes to sort of help this this growth uh, uh, and the costs that this might make to the, lo the individual homeowner taxes? Well, it's the last question, and it's one that I cannot answer. I've spent a lifetime in the nonprofit business. I don't know how business taxes work. <laughs> um, I don't know why they would go up if they're busier. Do your, do your business taxes go up when you get busier, Jim? Jim's not, Jim's not answering any money questions anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I can't, I, I can't get, answer that question on the spot, but I'll get the answer for you, and I'll get it to you, I promise. Um, just before I go, uh, we brought these brochures. They're out front here, and there's a little yellow box on the back that says how you can help. Uh, if you believe that this is a good project for the community, we would encourage you to let your uh, city council know that you feel it's a good project for the community, and we sure hope that uh, after the time we've spent here with you today that you feel that way. Thank you. Thank you. Hope to see you next week.